0: This is the Be God's Light podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. And here in 2024, we're diving into the Old Testament for a look at how God has been at work from the very beginning and making some efforts to apply that to not only the New Testament, but to our life today. We're, we're buzzing through it. The Old Testament's big, there's a lot of chapters in it. We're not hitting all of them at all in the podcast. And so if you want a, a broader view, you need to pay attention to the sermons that are being released as well as the daily readings and devotions that go with that even with all of that probably only a quarter of the old testament is covered so we're we're doing our best to hit the highlights ben i think that's kind of the the goal here and today we're looking at the story of sibling rivalry that takes place in the family of god abraham has a son named Isaac, and the story is picked up in Genesis chapter 25. So, you know, we we had the opportunity to talk a little bit about you and your your brother, and uh, yeah, I I have a brother, a younger brother, and I have some older brothers and and so forth as well, and an older sister. Uh, Sibling rivalry is a real deal, you know, it it can be a—brothers, especially brothers can get—you know, sisters can too. You know, you have— you, you had a brother and now you have two girls. I had brothers and now I, and I had four girls and, uh, girls can get at it too, can't they?
1: <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not immune from sibling rivalry. Even my two that are five years apart, uh, from one another can still go at it, uh, pretty hard, um, And uh, I love, I'm not sure uh, if you really want to dive into this, but you you shared with me one time about how you and and Lisa, uh, I don't know if it was like every six months or every year or whatever, but having four daughters, not having five bedrooms, the the girls were paired with one another and you would switch up every six months or so and make them uh, pair up with a a different yeah, sister, exactly. right? Yeah, they I thought that was brilliant.
0: Forced getting along or something like that, <laughs> right. so they didn't choose only a favorite, and so that we mix that up about every six months, it seems like. And t- you know, it's interesting today. They're all in their thirties. Our youngest just turned thirty, and they are, and they live far apart, thousand miles from each other. Some of them do, and they're still best friends. Yeah, they they talk to each other all the time, and and find ways to get together we find out like, oh, we're going to Europe. We're we're going to Hawaii. Really? (laughs) And and girls that don't even live near each other or whatever. And they're doing all these outings and and get-togethers and times and trips. So, But I wouldn't say that every moment of their growing up year was um, peaceful. There were times when the rivalry got real and they uh, went at each other a bit.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things that I give my dad and my my mom a lot of credit for was they tried to nurture. My brother and I are, are only fifteen months apart. Mm. I'm older uh, than he is, and uh, one of the things they always tried to nurture was just kind of uh, a, a unified uh, spirit or, or life between the two of us. And so I remember one Christmas, um, my my parents got me a TV and got my brother a Nintendo. And they were kind of like, go figure it out. Yeah, (laughs) you know. So if you want to play Nintendo, you're gonna have to allow your brother to uh, use your TV. And uh, Andy, if you want to play or if you want to watch TV, you're gonna have to let your brother uh, play the Nintendo or whatever. And uh, so they were always because we were uh, immediately. You know, we had friends up and down in our uh, in our in our sphere of friendships or whatever, and their siblings everybody you know got their own TV got their own Nintendo and here my parents were making us share but uh what a blessing you know you look back on that and and uh, give thanks for how your your parents uh, nurtured a, a heart for one another
0: yeah my my younger brother was um 17 months i think younger than i and and so we were always roommates because we had two older brothers and they're 5 and 7 years older than than i am and so we we were the we shared a bedroom together our whole life until finally my older brother got wise and left the house and we got our own bedroom my last maybe 2 years of high school so we were we were in it together i yeah. mean we we lived life together and and we were growing up before nintendo was invented so uh we had one <laughs> clock radio that we could share <laughs> that's how that worked when we were younger and you know it, it it's some of that when you're just in space together it makes a difference. That doesn't mean we never, uh, disagreed.
1: <laughs> no, my, my little brother and I, as, as you could probably pick up on from the last podcast, we, uh, we got into it quite a bit. My, one of my favorite stories is, is we were, uh, you know, our fights were never, uh, fist to face or anything like that. It was more wrestling than anything. But one time I had, he had come after me and I'd thrown him down, uh, on the uh, ground outside. And I got up on, I got on top of him and held him down and told him that I'd only let him go if he just like would calm down. And so he tells me he's going to calm down. And then of course he does. And I let him up. He does. And he comes after me. I run into uh, my bedroom, which I think at the time we were actually sharing and I locked the door and the dude jumped through the door. And so usually what would happen was we would start fighting. Something would get broken and immediately it was like our minds came together about how are we going to cover this up? How are we going to cover up the destruction? One time I body slammed them through a bed and so had to, uh, we used all of our old uh, encyclopedias and shoved it up up underneath the, uh, the box spring or whatever. But yeah, trying to fix that door, we propped that door. To where my mom did not find that door was broken until about 15 years later when she went to sell the house. And she's like, what is up with all the holes in the wall? There's a door that is like not even connected to the hinges. And so we had all those fun moments.
0: Anyway. Weren't the encyclopedias supposed to be used for your research and studies?
1: Yeah, nobody would have ever accused me. I think the binding is still fresh on those encyclopedias. (laughs) Yeah, Old school
0: encyclopedias. For you young listeners, they were made of paper. Okay, so let's take a look at this story. Genesis 25, we'll pick it up in verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, that is, not Ishmael. So there's already some practices of favoritism that might be going on. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. So he had other people that he was married to or there were concubines and the other children, and he only kept Isaac in place. In verse 19, we'll skip down to chapter 25, verse 19, Abraham became the father of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. Verse 21, Isaac Prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So they're going to watch to see which baby comes out first. And the Lord has already made a declaration that the younger one will be stronger and will be served by the older one. It's an interesting thing that God's already sort of involved in this, speaking to them, but it's already a family trait, a favoritism. Abraham prefers Isaac over Ishmael and the other other sons. And now Isaac and his wife are going to make their choices and their preferences along the way It's kind of built into their the fabric of how they do life, and maybe that was normal for the world that was that was going on back back then and and the way they thought about especially the firstborn son in general would be the one who would be the favorite though in this case Isaac was not the firstborn, and then Isaac's son, as we'll see the youngest is not obviously the firstborn of the twins. So there's some things that are baked in culturally and some things that are part of their family traditions as well, perhaps that bring about some of the problems that are, that are taking place. Let's just skip, go on to verse 24 in Genesis 25, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment <laughs> that, that's a That's kind of an interesting description of a a little baby. so they named him Esau, which means hairy, not like h a r r y but h a i r y <laughs> something like that. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping esau's heel well that's a that's a clever baby out of the womb that can hold a hold a heel of another child. so he was named. Jacob, and that name means heel grabber, which one who grabs the heel, which is an idiom for deceiver what a what a name like you your name, I mean we think the name Jacob, we know people named Jacob it's a big deal, but back then when they name they named people for these traits, and one was named um, a dude that looks like hair, and the other was mean a a dude that's gonna deceive people,
1: yeah, yeah, which ultimately we we see um, Jacob living into his, uh, to his name.
0: Do you, do you, um, know why you were named what you were named?
1: Uh, because it was a good Jewish name. (laughs) And so, uh, Benjamin, uh, means son of my right hand, um, in Hebrew. And so that was, uh, yeah, it was a good solid, uh, Jewish name to go along with the Jewish last name. And then the middle name was my, uh, my grandmother's maiden name. So more of the Irish piece of me.
0: Oh, wow, that's pretty cool heritage. I don't think I have anything like that at all. Mark or my middle name, Alan, I think it's, I don't know if my mom got it off a soap opera or what, it was, (laughs) (laughs) it was just a common, you know, Mark, there was was a bunch of, there are still are, a bunch of my age and it was very common then. maybe there's something deeper to it. Uh, Years, years later, my parents went to Hawaii and they brought me back this little plaque that. Uh, said you know mark means mighty warrior in the the native language from hawaii or whatever and so i'm sticking with that that they, they
1: that, that sounds good
0: so she, maybe she was making up for the soap opera thing i don't i don't i don't really know okay so the, you got these boys and they're born and it and by the way isaac's 60 years old it says when they give birth to them so they waited a long time to have children and god gave them these twins and then it gets interesting kind of interesting verse 27 the boys grew up and esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country while jacob was content to stay at home among the tents They got a man's man and a mama's boy right that's all that's that's some built-in rivalry right there i mean one one's out and like doing the man thing he's hairy and he's hunting and bringing home the game and the other one's staying at home around the tents and um you know helping around cooking and whatever whatever the chores would be and so it was natural i would guess for the parents to say i prefer this one uh it even says that in verse 28 isaac the father who had a taste for wild game loved his son esau but rebecca the mom loved jacob probably yeah. that line alone says it
1: yeah how messed up is that <laughs> that's so Messed up, but it, and it's one of those common themes that again we see uh, in in Genesis. We even see that in uh, in Abraham's struggle uh, post birth of Isaac, yeah. where he still, um, you know, has this real deep affection, which he should as a as a as a father for uh, for Ishmael. Um, has set himself before uh, God has him send Ishmael uh, away but there's like this constant narrative of dysfunction in in these families oftentimes because they engage in family life outside of uh God's desire but we see it with Ishmael and Isaac we see it with uh Jacob and Esau we see it with Joseph and and his brothers um just this constant narrative of of dysfunction among these families
0: yeah a lot of a lot of favoritism that's going on and m- maybe it's normal in some ways to like one thing more than the other like some food more than other foods or one one sports team more than the other and maybe in on a, a human way it's normal to like certain traits of one child more than the other i i don't know but for it to be known and to to speak it out loud and to say it is not healthy and i mean it, it we we're supposed to love them equally right and, uh, it's like, I tell was, my kids all the time,
1: you know, so one of them will be like, I know you like the other one, you know, I, I know you like, you know, one better than the other, or whatever I'm like when in their fits of uh, rage when they think that we're handling some, some matter, uh, unjustly. But like I tell them, you know, I love you equally. I love you differently. And so there's like certain aspects that were, yeah, um, you might identify more with one uh, than the other. Uh, with different character traits or, or whatever, but you see in some ways the fullness of your character, of your own bent's present in both of, of your kids. And so, uh, there's, there's different things in some ways that you kind of rally around, uh, with, with each of them, um, because of the different passions that they have in life that, that you identify with the notion that it would be normative or normal for, a parent to love one child more than another I just cannot I don't know I can't wrap my head around that and like you said for them to obviously be outward about it that Rebecca makes no bones that she loves Jacob uh, more than than Esau or the fact that um, Isaac clearly prefers Esau over Jacob I mean that's just craziness you're more
0: diplomatic than I when we were raising our four girls I would tell them in front of the other ones all the time, you're my favorite. And uh, and then I I do it with all four of them. Right. And so they right. knew like, okay, it's just a right. it's just a thing dad's doing. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes I'd say, because you have the favor of God.
1: Yeah. Oh dad, yeah, that's thank good stuff. you. You know, yeah. and so
0: they do that. And now we're raising, you know, our nephew and his name, ironically, is Abraham mm-hmm. with all these stories we're talking about. And he's the only one in our house, so it, it's easy. Abraham, you're my favorite. So that's <laughs> there. You go, brother. Okay. So let's t- pick up this story. So we got these this thing going on with this, and, and it's going to come into play right now with the birthright. Now, a birthright's an important thing in their culture and in their way. Uh, give me your your two minute r- overview. What's what's a birthright, and why did it matter?
1: Uh, part of it in ancient culture would have been <clears throat> relative to um, birth order. And so, uh, that's one of the things that, that Jacob really is asking for here is he's asking for really what culturally Esau would have been entitled to, uh, as the, the firstborn.
0: All right. So that's what he should get. And it says in verse 29, we're still in Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, he was home around the tents cooking. Esau came in from the open country famished. He'd been out hunting. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So he's he's hungry. and he says that's why he was called e, also called Edom, which the word means red. So his name was Esau, Harry, and also Edom because red. He, he had red skin. He wanted this red stew. And, and he was just a hungry person. Now Jacob remember his name means the deceiver, the trickster, replied, first, sell me your birthright. So you just described that that went to the oldest son and it was an important thing for them to have in their lives. And he said, sell me your birthright. This would give him more of the inheritance, the long range, far away, it would allow him to have this extra share. If you think of the New Testament story of the prodigal son, this birthright comes into play in that story, the older son and the younger son. So here the younger son wants that double portion, wants that double share. He says, sell me your birthright. Esau replied, look, I'm about to die. Okay, here's the deal. He's he's hungry, certainly. But if he's actually able to articulate the words, I am about to die, he's probably not about to die. Is that? how it works medically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit bit of an exaggeration.
0: What good is the birthright to me? I'm going to die. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. I mean, it was the two of them that were there. I don't know if there were witnesses hanging around, but the, the fact that he swore it, was a, it was a contract, wasn't it? I mean, in that culture, when you, you said it out loud, you said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this oath. It was a, it was a deal. It was done.
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was a binding, I mean, in essence, a binding contractual agreement between the two of them. So he got a bowl
0: of soup and lost his birthright.
1: <laughs> right, but he was dying.
0: But he was dying, so now <laughs> he's alive. You know, and I, I think a lot of like, the, isn't that a thing for us? We we think about the immediate. I want this. I want this thing. I want. I want this money. I want this person that I'm not married to. I, I want. I want, and without thinking about all the implications that's going to have for the future. Yeah, it's, I mean- it's a trap.
1: Yeah, and I think we have a tendency to fall into the sense that present circumstances are indicative of a future reality when they're not. And so how often are are we prone to make a hasty decision uh, because we're certain that something is going to happen uh, in the future? We're certain of a potential or prospective outcome when we have no clue what the outcome is. And then in the midst of a present circumstance, we do especially if it's some sort of trial or tribulation we have this tendency to exaggerate the that that particular moment and see it uh, for more than what it oftentimes is
0: so true really true so he, he sold his birthright but he, there's still the blessing what what's the difference between the birthright and the blessing do you have any insights to what the difference is between those two things in their culture
1: I think mainly just the the father's uh, blessing over the oldest son. Um, in some ways, it's it's uh, kind of putting upon him as being the the namesake, mm-hmm. uh, as I understand it.
0: Yeah, words have power, uh, and words in their culture had maybe even more power
1: than they do in ours. And what is spoken,
0: it sets things into motion. That's how they they believed, and so receiving those that blessing from your father would put things in motion that would become true in your life. It's not really magical thinking as much as just these declarative words from the father to the oldest son. So he, he gave up the birthright, but they're still the blessing. And we skip ahead two chapters to Genesis chapter 27, and it says this, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die that the blessing is coming. I, Isaac has spoken it, and his son Esau's got to be excited about it. Like, okay, I gave up the birthright, but I'm going to get the blessing. And so off he goes. Verse 5, Now Rebecca, that's that's the older woman now, the wife of Isaac. Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And this is this is twisted. You know, I mean, now you not only have Jacob named, you know, heel grabber, which is an idiom for deceiver, but his mom's in the game, and they're all going to deceive the man in order to trick him out of it. Yet, so so Jacob's going to steal the, Birthright and steal the blessing, but you know, bargain one and 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 deceive for the other. He's going to get both of them. But I, I guess you know, here's an interesting thing I want to just process in, in a, for a few minutes before we. And he ends up doing it. He gets, he brings it in, tricks his father. You can read the rest of the story. We don't have time to go through all of it. And he he gets the blessing from his father. And here's what I want to process with you, Ben. So Jacob swindles his brother out of the birthright, and then he deceives his father out of the blessing. Yet it is through Jacob that the, the Messianic line is carried forth. It is through Jacob and his, Jacob's 12 sons that the 12 tribes of Israel are named. It is Jacob, whose name is later named Israel, who becomes the namesake for the entire nation and the people of God. So I mean like the ends justify the means? Uh yeah. is that you know the story here? Probably not. Um but what what how do you like how do you reconcile this as you're as you're wrestling with these texts and and how Jacob got what he got, the birthright and the blessing. And it ended up working pretty well for him.
1: Yeah, it wasn't by Jacob's you know ultimate deception by which God's grace is extended to him to where he becomes you know the the patriarch uh the patriarch that we know him uh, to be it's God's sovereign choice um and his grace poured out to to Jacob and and to Esau Esau does all right in life even though he is not chosen to uh carry on Um, the, the covenantal promises ultimately given, uh, to Abraham that it comes through, through Jacob rather than Esau, but God has his reasons and his rationale. And while sometimes it is hard for us to, to grasp or to understand it's, it's one of those things where we trust God to his decisions and to his, to his ways. Because in in many, I mean, looking at both Esau and, and Jacob, you know, neither of them are entitled to any of it. Neither of them are worthy of any of it. We see both of them in light of their depravity, uh, whether in Esau's hasty decisions or even some of the decisions that that he'll make uh, here in in the text, um, which the the listener can read through. Um, But both of them have serious moral deficits. And yes, Jacob is, you know, a scoundrel. There's no other way uh, to put it, and uh, sadly, um, both of them have been nurtured toward those ends by their own parents. I mean, Rebecca is giving Jacob clarity on how he can swindle his brother out of the blessing.
0: Yeah, it's it's a. I look at the story and I think, okay, a lot of times that people say things like this. When life is going well for somebody, the phrase is they must be living right. Or when things don't go well, sometimes we we look at somebody and say, well, they you know they must really not be living their life in the right kind of way. Those it's kind, kind of we have sort of like an equation in our minds. Yeah. And when bad things happen to good people, we often think that's not just, that's not right. But that's not that, there's not like this. This you know it's not it's not like yeah. God gives payment for every good act and and punishment for every bad act. That's not the way the the sovereignty of God and the grace of God work. And this is just like a prime example of it. Jacob shouldn't have gotten anything. Right. I mean, from the standard of like what he was doing and how he was living his life and how he was treating his brother and even how he was treating his father to go in and fake him out. Right. And when he's old and he he can't see, and so he he goes in, you know, and, and all the kind of trickster stuff that he does yet God says, this is the one and and it was spoken while they were in the womb the older will serve the younger
1: yeah and and i think a lot of our sense of justice is rooted more in karma which is which is a falsehood rather than our understanding of god's holiness and so when we look at our life through the lens of god's holiness we recognize that Really, we're not deserving of anything. All we're deserving of is God's justice because all of us are guilty under God's law, and yet God extends mercy and grace uh, to us. And aren't and, we
0: grateful for that, really? I mean, in our
1: own lives? that That's what we should be grateful for, to recognize that the, the greatest good, as I said in a sermon, the greatest good that we can receive ultimately is the the work of Christ in our life, the ultimate... Uh, the ultimate expression of, of God's redemptive love and, and grace toward us, that's the ultimate good that we could receive. And, and to think that if there was anyone uh, that has ever walked the earth that did not deserve uh, the, his treatment, it was Christ himself. And yet Jesus mm-hmm. makes him vulnerable to uh, humanity's evil in order to redeem humanity from their evil. And so I think that's part of the problem is a lot of times we look at the the biblical characters through the lens of our own just our own sense of justice which is oftentimes not rooted in God's holiness and so when we come to Esau and Jacob we think of one as being ultimately better than the other or more entitled than the other but under the standard of God's holiness both of them are fallen.
0: Yeah yeah because I'm in that category. I mean, if the Bible is correct when it says the wages of sin is death, then I'm a dead man walking, and I don't deserve the goodness, the grace of God, or, as I would tell my daughters, the favor of God. They, they didn't have the favor of God because they were perfect children. They had the favor of God because they have the favor of God. Well, this has been a, a good discussion, and. It reminds us that we don't earn everything that God gives to us. God's blessings are a nature of his goodness, his grace, and his favor. And we ask you to remember that this day as you live in the, in the, in the favor of God in your life. You don't have to be perfect in order to do it. That's why it's called grace. Well, we're going we're to go from uh, good news to tragic news. Next week, there's a story. It's a tragic story of rape and murder that is in the Bible. It's a PG-13 discussion, so you might think ahead if you have young children. And the topic is, Who's to Blame? Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find the church app and click on the Be God's light link that will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the old testament if you want to stay up to date with the be god's light podcast we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts until next time god bless